Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host, and today's quote is by Paul J. Meyer. Productivity is never an accident. It is always a result of a commitment to excellence, intelligent planning, and focused effort. And today, I have the great pleasure of introducing you to Peg Toms. She began her career as a teacher in an inner city school in Columbus, Ohio, and she earned a master's degree in educational supervision and worked for eight years as the director of continuing education at Franklin University. Following that, she spent five years as a manager in the insurance industry, and at 40, she earned a PhD in organizational behavior from Ohio State and spent the next 18 years working in the Black School of Business at Penn State. She directed the MBA program there for five years. Peg has published 26 refereed journal articles, four books, a two-volume reference series on major controversies in business, and four business book chapters. She's consulted with dozens of organizations and has international experience, including teaching in an international project management master's degree. I could go on. You can check our show notes for even more on Peg, but I really want to bring her on the show right now. Welcome, Peg. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you, Heather? Oh, I'm fantastic. It's a great day. And yes, I, it's beautiful here. Is it? Oh, that's great to hear. So, you know, it's nice when the, the north where I come from and the south where I am now come together and we're all having a great day. That's fantastic. Now, we have some serious stuff to discuss today, though, right? And I know... Yes that you have done a tremendous amount of research in all of the different books that you've written and all of the different things that you've taught on. And I think that today we're going to dive into something that's, that's a newer passion project for you, isn't it? It's something that I wrote. I actually wrote a book chapter and an article mm-hmm. on the subject shortly before I retired. Okay. So I never had the time to disseminate the information other than the publications. And it's an issue that has raised its head in the past couple of weeks. Okay, see that's that's getting them on the edge of their seat. I love it. So <laughs> we're gonna be talking about today, overtime addiction. But let's start for those listeners out there that kind of dip our toes in. And why don't you just share with them a little bit more about overtime and how maybe we define it legally. Overtime is a concept that's been around for, since the late 1930s. And at that point in time, a law was passed which mandated that non-exempt employees must be paid time and a half for all hours that they work over 40 per week. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are, there are ways that's defined and teased out a bit, but usually non-exempt employees are hourly workers. And back when this was first begun, we'd be talking about miners and factory workers and so on. Salaried workers who would include usually professional staff and management are usually called exempt. They do not qualify for overtime pay. Mm -hmm. Now this definition has evolved over the years 
And each of your listeners should clarify with their employer whether they are exempt or non-exempt. If they're non-exempt, they qualify for overtime pay. And as I said, by law, it's time and a half. Right. Okay. So when we talk about the term overtime addiction, what does that mean to you? To me, what it means is that an individual begins to work overtime. Sometimes it's mandated by the employer and sometimes it's voluntary. And what I have seen over the years, and there is a research evidence of this as well, that when workers work overtime and make this extra pay, and that's a lot of money, a time and a half is a lot of extra money to make, that oftentimes the extra money that they make becomes incorporated into their personal or family budget. Then when the overtime ends, the people have a problem and organizations have problems. And let me give you an example. A police officer whom I know told me that he began doing special duty work in order to save enough money for his family to buy a home. He made so much money doing special duty work. According to him, he was working an additional 40 hours a week. They made so much money. He made so much money that his family could afford to buy a bigger, better house than they had originally planned. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wonderful, except that in order to afford to maintain the bigger, better home, he had to continue to work an extra 40 hours a week. Uh. And it caused enormous problems, as you might assume, Mm -hmm. with family. So he didn't intend to get addicted to it, but he was forced to continue working the excessive hours. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're away from your family and your friends on a regular basis, it becomes a habit and it begins to feel normal, much like addictions to other things begin to feel normal. Add to that a lack of exercise, a lack of relaxation, and you also add in physical consequences, which compound the other problems. And I'll mention here, but I'll go back to it later, that organizations become addicted to overtime also. Mm. And I'll explain more about that later. Okay. Now, you know, you mentioned other addictions and things. So how is overtime addiction different or the same as workaholism? There are similarities, but the primary problem with overtime addiction is that you become addicted to the extra money, Mm -hmm. the extra resources in your, in your family budget. And it makes it extremely difficult to stop doing it. Workaholism, and by the way, workaholics may or may not be earning overtime pay. We all know professionals who work excessive hours. Mm-hmm. And for them, the causes usually are their perception that they need to work these extra hours 
in order to get ahead in their career and that they'll be penalized. And sometimes that's accurate, by the way, if they're a manager, that they'll be penalized if they don't work 50 or 60 hours a week rather than just the 40 hours a week. But over time, the same thing happens uh, to the workaholic, even if they're not earning extra money. And that is that their home life becomes very stressful. Their personal life becomes very stressful. And oftentimes you find workaholics are working the extra hours to escape Mm. the stressful home situation, which may in part be caused by the amount of work they do. So there is overlap, uh, but not all alcohol, not all workaholics are actually making extra money, but it still can be addictive. Sure, that makes sense. And you know, let's bring it to that timely aspect that we started out alluding to, given the the current state of the economy and the effects of COVID on the workplace. Is overtime addiction a more relevant issue today? It absolutely is for a number of reasons. And all you have to do is watch the national news mm-hmm. and the local news, by the way. There is a shortage of workers a severe shortage of workers. In particular, they've been talking about the shortage of truck drivers. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean in terms of overtime? Well, it means that the people who are working, and in particular, the non-exempt people who are working, are working tremendous overtime. And, And I had a woman recently tell me that she was working 17 hours a week in overtime. And I said, well, do you have to do it? She said, no, they're not requiring it. But we've been told that if we don't have enough workers in our store, the store will have to close. Uh And so in effect, she's afraid that the the company where she works will go under if she doesn't work overtime. And the shortage of workers is primarily due to COVID. But as you know, the shortage of workers in many industries is simply related to the fact that we don't have enough people to do the jobs like the truck driving. So you're going to be seeing, and in fact, companies have made announcements last week. There were a number of companies that made announcements that they will be working 24-7 in order to get the shelves in the store stocked and be able to complete the work that needs to be done in order for the economy and in particular inflation to be dealt with productively. Mm. So you're going to see more and more overtime hours being worked. And just because you have to do it doesn't make it any less addictive. Right. Now, you know, even prior to this becoming, uh, you know, us seeing this on the news, I have heard through some of my companies that I work with that had gone through in the beginning of COVID, had gone through reorganizations and downsizing and then expected the people that were left to do the jobs of those other people that they had let go. You know, it just seems like it's been leading up to this. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. I think that they have expected uh, the people who weren't downsized to do more, do more with less. Right. And although a lot of people are probably grateful that they were able to continue working through the pandemic, 
it doesn't mean that it isn't going to have consequences for them down the road. Right. And we talked about some of those consequences and, and how it could affect them, you know, health-wise a little bit. Let's talk about the family. Can overtime addiction affect the family of an individual, you know, that's going through this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the, the person who's working the overtime loses time for family support. Uh, they lose time for leisure. I already mentioned exercise. They aren't performing home responsibilities, whether they're single or whether they have a family. The home is going to suffer the physical surrounding. They also will be suffering from increasing stress. And oftentimes they can't see a way out of it, whether it's required or whether they themselves through voluntary overtime have gotten themselves into a position where they have to work the hours. That is tremendously stressful. And the results are the same as they are for other types of addiction. A feeling of hopelessness, unhappiness, isolation from friends and family, loss of friends and family, worried, worries about money. As you know, Heather, just because you make more money doesn't mean that you worry less about money because whatever we make extra, we incorporate into our monthly budget. And then we don't know how we got along without it. So there are increasing monetary concerns. And then health issues would include things like increased headaches, obesity, drinking, drug use. In other words, it can lead to other types of addictions as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As far as the family is concerned, children and spouses feel ignored. They don't get attention. They, uh, adultery is very widespread when you have someone in the family who is away from home more than their home. And by the way, the spouses who are left at home are also lonely. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are numerous, numerous examples of that breaking up marriages. And of course, the money issues, as I mentioned earlier, become more and more contentious. Home environments are stressful. And then you get into an issue I raised earlier about people trying to avoid their homes. Mm -hmm. uh, arguments increase. Wow. And another thing develops, and this is relevant to the story I mentioned earlier about the police officer friend. He began to resent his spouse because his spouse was pushing for purchasing the home and then purchasing the larger home. And then of course you need the furnishings, you need to maintain it. And so the person who's working these horrendous hours becomes very resentful about the family members who are benefiting mm. and they feel more pressure put on them. And of course, I'm, as I alluded to earlier, divorces are also very common among people who work excessive hours. Wow, this sounds, this sounds devastating for the individual and the family. Let's, and I know you, you alluded to it a little bit ago, is how is it impacting the organizations? Can they become addicted to the overtime too? Absolutely. And this is particularly true for small companies that don't have good planning mm -hmm. procedures or don't engage in any type of planning, which is common, you know, because you work with so many companies. Mm 
-hmm. So on a short-term basis, like right now we've got a big push or it's the holiday season and you need extra workers, it's a little bit cheaper and this may not be true in the long run, but it's a little bit cheaper to just ask each of your employees to work a few extra hours and you pay the overtime. Mm -hmm. It's probably cheaper than having to go out and hire new workers. However, if your company becomes dependent on overtime and use it as a substitute for careful planning and scheduling, mm -hmm. then the company is addicted. And by the way, over time, an increasingly unhappy, stressed out employees end up being very expensive in the long run. Managers have told me of situations when employees, let's say their company announced they're going to cut all overtime as a cost cutting measure. Mm -hmm. And they have told me that people that typically work a lot of overtime come to them actually crying and begging for overtime because they'll lose their homes without it. Wow. When companies extensively use and then suddenly eliminate overtime, that can be extremely traumatic. It, there's another problem as well, and that is that most managers, again, there are variations on this depending on the industry and the type of job, but most managers do not qualify for overtime. As a result, the managers have to be there to supervise people working overtime, mm -hmm. but they're not getting paid for it. So they might work 60 or 70 hours a week to cover all of the overtime being worked, but they are not getting reimbursed for the overtime. And that builds up tremendous resentment. Yes. And in the long run, it's very expensive. Uh, talking about the consequences for the organization, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you an example. One large manufacturing company in a northern city that I'm familiar with had a labor contract. Now, again, we're talking about getting a union involved. And oftentimes unions will negotiate a higher rate of pay for overtime. In this case, that union had negotiated double time, double pay for overtime. And at one point in time, this plant in a small city had five production workers making over $200,000 per year due to their overtime mm -hmm. and 200 of their factory workers were making over $100,000 per year due to overtime. Wow. Now, these were people who had very good factory jobs and very good benefits. But think how many hours of overtime these people were working to make that kind of money. And as I mentioned earlier, once you begin making $200,000 a year, you expect for that to be maintained. Right. What happened with this particular company in order to escape the union rules and the union, to be blunt, the company made the decision to shut down most of their operation in this town. They moved 
and they moved to a facility where they didn't have that type of contract. Wow. This was a tremendous blow to the workers and to the community. Oh my goodness. Now, you know, there's so many questions that I have here, but because I'm, I'm like you, Peg, we, we both like to help people to overcome the challenges that we talk about, right? So what are some suggestions that you have? What can individuals do to prevent developing this addiction to overtime? The number one suggestion, and I know as I'm saying it, that it's difficult, but when you have the opportunity to earn overtime or to work overtime, or when you're forced to work overtime, try to set aside the extra earnings for special uses like taking a vacation or a home remodeling project, something that doesn't typically fit into your regular budget. Mm. And do not incorporate the overtime pay into your monthly budget. So you make the overtime pay and you get to take the family to Disney World, but you don't become dependent on the extra pay. The other thing I suggest, and again, knowing this is difficult, individuals have to put their own health and well-being ahead of the temptation to make extra money when they have a choice. Like I said, right now, a lot of people are not having choices. They're not being given the choice to do overtime. But they need to talk with their family, talk with their friends, talk to their spouses, their significant others. And they, made, they need to talk with others before they make the commitment to work overtime for the long run. Mm -hmm. They need to get assurances also from their employer that the overtime is a short-term solution to the problem, not something that they're going to have to do for the next two or three or four years. They also need to understand that overtime is used by organizations for its own benefit. Your company is not offering you overtime because it wants to do you a favor and give you a chance to earn extra money. Right, right. It's they're being they're doing it for the company's benefit. And as quickly as they offer the overtime, they can stop overtime. Mm -hmm. And I think that realization would keep people from incorporating the overtime into their everyday living. These are great suggestions, Peg. And, and how about for the organization itself? Are there things that they can do to prevent this overtime addiction from their perspective? Avoid it whenever possible. Mm. And I'll give you a, a, just one comment. There were changes made in manufacturing, and I'm sure you're familiar with many of them. But one in particular was the... Uh, change from having warehouses where they kept parts mm -hmm. uh, and kept inventory of the parts and materials that would be needed to manufacture whatever product they make. Well, there was a trend and it's been around for 20, maybe almost 30 years. And that trend was to get away from maintaining warehouses with materials. So 
they no longer had all the parts they needed that would last, say, six months. And so they find themselves with an increase in orders. They've got to go to their suppliers, hope that their suppliers can provide what they need. And then if they have a large order coming in, they have to use overtime. Whereas if, like they did years ago, they kept a warehouse with inventory, which, by the way, was expensive, mm-hmm. and that's why they stopped it. Uh, they would have the materials they need, and it would help even out the, the workflow, so to speak. And the thing that comes to mind, and I can't say that this is, that this is exactly what happened, but I suspect it's related, and I'll tell you what it is. You're aware that there's a shortage of new cars. Mm-hmm. There's a shortage of used cars, mm-hmm. and that is related to COVID. What they're telling us is that they don't have the chips that they need for the cars. 40 years ago, they'd have had a warehouse with enough chips to cover them mm-hmm. for a fairly long period of time. But now there's a shortage because of the change that was made in keeping maintaining inventory. So the decision was made along with a lot of other adjustments to manufacturing process that have led to increased overtime. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. I think the um, same thing happens, it has been happening lately with building uh, building materials. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. Has, and mm-hmm. it, and it, part of it is related to to COVID, we can't ignore that that possibility. Uh, but nonetheless, when we used to keep materials on hand, right. it made it less likely that we would need overtime. The other thing is, companies need to do careful planning and scheduling. Yeah, and I'm always surprised with all of the tools available for companies and all of the wonderful consultants like yourself who are out there are encouraging them to do careful planning, you're still finding a lot of organizations that don't do it. They run by the seat of their pants. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about small companies. I'm talking about major corporations also Mm -hmm. that have gotten away from short-term and long-term planning. Um, Part of it is technology-related, Heather, that technology have because it's shifting so rapidly mm-hmm. we have the impression that we can respond on a dime i think that's an expression people still yeah. use isn't yeah. it <laughs> uh and we don't have to worry about long-term planning because everything changes so quickly yes well bad news you still have to do planning Definitely. and implementation of new technology should take a while to do and i mean months to do but we're under the impression now that everything has to be done so quickly and that has interfered with careful planning and scheduling. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the organizations need to monitor the individuals working the most overtime hours. For example, I mentioned the manufacturing company that had 200 employees doing factory jobs making over $100,000 a year. That should never have happened. Right. They have records. They know who has become addictive Mm. to overtime. 
and they need to monitor it all throughout and not let that happen. Um, they also need to spread out the overtime. So if they're in an absolute crunch and they have to have it, then they need to say to all employees, we're going to need five hours mm -hmm. the next month, five hours a week the next month, and not let one or two or three individuals take it all for themselves. Right. Um, obviously, right now, because of the labor shortages and COVID, it's very hard uh, to warn people ahead of time and, and to manage this, but they absolutely must be honest with people and say, listen, this is a short-term issue. We're going to come out of the pandemic and we'll no longer be offering the overtime mm -hmm. and help them manage, manage the idea about it, if you will, yeah. that don't incorporate this into your regular budget. And by the way, I'll give an opinion as well. I think time and a half is a very good reward for working overtime. That's a substantial amount of money for the average American worker. You so don't need to other do double incentive. time. Yes. Yeah. It's nice if you bring in dinner mm. for the people working overtime. Things like that are good. But I'd be very cautious about offering more, in particular, financial incentives. Mm -hmm. because once you give a benefit, it's very difficult to take it back. Really good point. And, you know, everything that you have brought up here, I think is so relevant today and important for us and for the companies that we work with to be able to recognize, and especially those listeners out there that, that might be finding themselves on the verge of this overtime addiction themselves. You gave some great suggestions for what they can do to curb that. This is an important topic. And, and, you know, with the title of this show called From Fear to Fire, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, has there ever been a time in your, I mean, you've had an incredible career in your career where you have felt that there was a, a challenge or a fear that you had to overcome that you learned a lesson from that you'd like to share with our listeners today? You mentioned before that I went back to school I quit my full-time job and I started a PhD. I won't go into the reasons I made that decision, but I had a good job. Uh, I had two kids. I, at that point, was a single mother, mm -hmm. recently divorced. I had a mortgage, a car payment, and my close family members all lived far away. I, so I decided to start a PhD <laughs> and I'd always been a good student. So I wasn't in the least bit worried about my ability to do the work. Mm -hmm. But what I discovered was that I was way over my head in terms of the difficulty of the classwork. I didn't understand what a PhD program entailed. I had a part-time job as a student, as a research assistant. I didn't know what that was. I had to take statistics, and I think that uh, word uh, stands alone. <laughs> uh, I had difficulty getting the financial aid that I needed, mm -hmm. and, and I had two little boys, and I'd made up my mind that they weren't going to have to give up anything mm -hmm. in order for me to take on this project. And I was terrified at the end of the first 
quarter of classes, I, I didn't know what I'd gotten into. Mm-hmm. And it was extremely tempting to quit. Mm-hmm. Partly because of my pride, I didn't want to fail. And, and the fear was probably fear of failure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I could have gotten another job and we'd have been fine, but I just wouldn't quit. And I did plenty of crying <laughs> and it helps. And I tried everything that I could think of to help me, including going back and retaking some classes that I'd taken and taking different classes in different departments to help me. And I was able to get through the program and graduated with a a good rating and then got a terrific job at Penn State Mm -hmm. where I spent 18 years. And I, it was, it was worth all of it, but it was, it scared the heck out of me when I first started that program and realized I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. So. Uh, well, you know, when you describe the situation that you were in and the, all of the extra stressors that you have, I don't think it had anything to do with how smart you were. You, you just had a tremendous amount of determination and you made it happen, right? I, a lot of people would have taken a different track there and quit, but I'm so glad that you didn't because Penn State and all of their students definitely benefited from you following through and, and making that happen and overcome coming that. You have been incredible. And I so appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. Uh, is there, are you open to me sharing a LinkedIn profile or some way for, for our listeners to get in contact with you if they have any additional questions or? I, I would be open to that. Yes. Okay. And um, it, my email would be the best way to reach me. Okay. We need to talk. We can uh, arrange a time to talk. Perfect. Okay. Well, I will, I will put the email then into the show notes in case anyone wants to reach out to you. Thank you so much. And for you listeners out there who are concerned, take Peg's advice and, um, and also share this with a friend. I'm sure there's someone else out there who could really use listening to this today. Thank you and have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you, Heather.